0: Welcome to today's meeting. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yesterday's baggage. This is taken from the 12 steps and 12 traditions, page 88, and it says... For the wise have always known that no one can make much of his life until self-searching becomes a regular habit, until he is able to admit and accept what he finds, and until he patiently and persistently tries to correct what is wrong. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 88. I have more than enough to handle today without dragging along yesterday's baggage too. I must balance today's books if I am to have a chance tomorrow. So I ask myself, if I am to have a chance tomorrow, so I ask myself, if I have erred and how I can avoid repeating the particular behavior. Did I hurt anyone? Did I help anyone? And why? Some of today is bound to spill over into tomorrow, but most of it need not if I make an honest daily inventory. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. My experience is on this October 5th reading of Daily Reflections, that the 12 steps and 12 traditions on pain 88 only work with your higher power as your best friend. For when I go into the cave of my past and self searching and I take a flashlight, I need to accept and admit the situations that got me into the hole, into the pickle. I must accept what I find until I patiently and persistently ask my higher power what I can do to fix it. Then, then I'm on my way to restoration. Remember that prayer on page 416 of the big book that said the OK prayer? Do you have it memorized? We should, because it works in every aspect of our lives. We can say, okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic resource. And it's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Okay, so... It's the same thing as going into the cave. I can just change the word alcoholic because I already admitted that, I accepted that, and now I'm on my way to fixing other problems, character defects. I say, okay, it is true that I, of all people, as strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am a child in adult clothing. And it's all right with me. Now what am I going to do about it? Amen. See the difference between self-knowledge and not uh, trying to understand truth and meaning, but without God, it has these people drink. You know, without asking God for for balances in your heart, truth and consequences, Lord, what are the consequences of this situation of my behavior? I accept it. Whatever it is, I, whatever your will and your consequences, I accept it. The more we approach God in this way in our inner being, that he's there and believing that he's there and he's, we feel him, we sense him, we just know that he's there. And he, we, he, we come up with a plan of restoration, a, pr- a plan to stop digging new holes in new caves and dumping up and covering old problems and situations. Amen. It's just saying uncle. I sold it. I drank it. I stole it. I connived it. I accepted. it. Now, what am I going to do about it? I surrender myself. Whatever happens, happens. I just relax and stop fearing and start and let go and let God. Amen. I wanted to read to you the last story in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. A.A. taught him to handle sobriety on page 553 of the big book. God willing, we may never again have to deal with drinking, but we have to deal with sobriety every day. When I had been in AA only a short while, an old timer told me something that has affected my life ever since. AA does not teach us how to handle our drinking. He said, it teaches us how to handle sobriety. I guess I always knew that the way to handle my drinking was to quit. After my very first drink, a tiny glass of cherry my father gave me to celebrate the new year when I was 13. I went up to bed, dizzy with exhilaration and excitement, and I prayed I wouldn't drink anymore. But I did. When I reached college age much later, when I progressed to full-blown alcoholism, people told me I should quit. Like most other alcoholics I have known, I did quit drinking at various times, once for 10 months on my own during other interludes. When I was hospitalized, it's no great trick to stop drinking. The trick is to stay stopped. To do that, I had come to AA to learn how to handle sobriety, which is what I could not handle in the first place. That's why I drank. I was raised in Kansas, the only child of loving parents who just drank socially. We moved frequently. In fact, I changed schools every year until high school. In each new place, I was the new kid, a skinny, shy kid to be tested and beaten up. As soon as I had begun to feel accepted, we moved again. By the time I reached high school, I was an overachiever, an honor student in college. I became editor of the yearbook. I sold my first article to a national magazine while still an undergraduate. I also began to drink at fraternity parties and beer busts. Upon graduation, I ventured to New York to pursue my writing career. I landed a good job with a company publication and was moonlighting on other magazines, regarded as something as the Boy Wonder. I began to see myself that way. I also began visiting bars after work, With my older associates, by age 22, I was a daily drinker. Then I joined the Navy and was commissioned as an ensign to write speeches for admirals. Later, I went to sea, serving as gunnery officer on a destroyer escort and emerging a lieutenant commander. I also got into my first disciplinary trouble caused by drinking on two separate occasions. In the last year of my Navy service, I was married to a lovely, lively girl who enjoyed drinking. Our courtship was mainly in bars and night spots when my ship was in New York. On our honeymoon, we had iced champagne by the bedside day and night. The patterns was set. By 29, I was having trouble coping with life because of my drinking. Neurotic fears plagued me, and I had occasional uncontrolled tremors. I read self-help books. I turned to religion with fervor. I swore off hard liquor and turned to wine. I got sick of the sweet stuff and turned to ale. It wasn't strong enough, so I added a shot of vodka and was right back to, to worse trouble than before. I began sneaking drinks when playing bartender for guests To cure my dreadful hangovers, I discovered the morning drink. The early promise of the boy wandered faded, and my career began to drift. Although my ambition still flickered, it now took the form of fantasizing. My values became distorted, to wear expensive clothes, to have bartenders know what to serve me before I order, to be recognized by head waiters, and shown to the best table, to play gin rummy for high stakes with the insolence of a riverboat gambler, These were the enduring values in life, I thought. Bewilderment, fear, and resentment moved into my life, and yet my ability to lie outwardly and to kid myself inwardly grew with every drink I took. Indeed, I had to drink now to live to cope with the demands of everyday existence. When I encountered disappointments or frustrations, as I did more and more frequently, my solution was to drink. I had always been oversensitive to criticism and was acutely so now. When I was criticized or reprimanded, the bottle was my refuge and comfort. When I was faced with a special challenge or social event, such as an important business presentation or a dinner party, I had to fortify myself with a couple of belts. So often I would overdo it and behave badly at the very time. I wanted to be at my best. For instance, the 50th wedding anniversary of my wife's parents was the occasional for a huge army reunion family, excuse me, at our home. Despite my wife's entreaties to take it easy, I arrived home in bad shape. I remember being dragged, drinking hand from under the grand piano where I had hidden to be locked up in my room in disgrace. Above all, I was suffering inner pain because my performance and my accomplishments in life failed to live up to my own expectations of myself. I had to anesthetize that pain with alcohol. Of course, the more I drank, the more unrealistic my expectations became and the poorer my performance and the gap widened. So the need to drink grew still greater at age 40 I developed a large lump in my pop belly and I feared it was a tumor the doctors pronounced it was a badly enlarged liver and said I had to quit drinking I did I went on the wagon with no outside help and with no really difficulty except that I didn't enjoy life without drinking I had to cope with the demands of everyday living without my comforter, my anesthetic, my crutch, and I didn't like it. So when my liver had recovered after 10 months, I resumed drinking. At first, just one drink on occasion. Then drinks came more frequently, but were carefully spaced out. Soon, my drinking was as bad as ever, all day long, every day. But I was trying frantically to control it, and it had gone on the ground now because everyone knew I shouldn't be drinking. Instead of drinking in fancy bars and clubs, I had to carry a bottle of vodka in my briefcase, duck into public toilets, and gulp from the bottle, trembling in order to keep from falling apart. Over the next few years, I sickened rapidly. The enlargement of my liver degenerated into cirrhosis. I vomited every morning. I could not face food. I suffered frequent blackouts. I had severe nosebleeds. Bruises appeared mysteriously over my body. I became so weak I could barely drag myself around. My employer gave me one warning, then another. My children avoided me when I woke in the middle of the night with snakes and sweats and fierce shakes. I would hear my wife weeping quietly in bed beside me. My doctor warned me that if I kept on, I might have esophageal hemorrhaging, and die. But now all choice was gone. I had to drink. What my doctor had warned me about finally happened, I was attending a convention in Chicago and carousing day and night. Suddenly I began vomiting and losing rectally great quantities of blood. Hopeless now, I felt it would be better for my wife, my children, and everyone in my life if I were, went if i went ahead and died i found myself being lifted into a stretcher and whisked away in an ambulance to a strange hospital i awoke the next day with twos in both arms within a week i was feeling well enough to go home the doctors told me that if i ever took another drink it might be my last i thought i had learned my lesson but my thinking was still confused and i was still unable to deal With everyday living without help, within two months, I was drinking again. In the next half year, I experienced two more esophageal hemorrhages, miraculously surviving each one by a hair. Each time I went back to drinking, even smuggling a bottle of vodka into the hospital as soon as the blood transfusion had ceased. My doctor finally declared he could no longer be responsible for me and sent me to a psychiatrist who practiced in the same suite of offices. He happened to be, by the grace of God, Dr. Harry Tybalt, the psychiatrist who probably knew more about alcoholism than any other in the world. And at that very time, he was a non-alcoholic trustee on the General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was the late Dr. Tebowl Then, who persuaded me to seek help through AA, I acquired a sponsor and began attending meetings, but continued to drink. Within a few days, I found myself drawing out on a drunk farm. While there, I read the big book and the grapevine and began the slow road back to health and sanity through the recovery program of AA. As the sober days grew into sober months and then into sober years, a new and beautiful life began to emerge from the shambles of my former existence. The relationship between my wife and me was restored to a love and happiness that we have not known. Even before my alcoholism became acute, she no longer weeps in the night. As our children grew up, I was able to be a father to them when they most needed one. My company advanced me rapidly once my reliability was established again. Regaining my health, I became an avid jogger, sailor, and skier. All these things and many, many more AA gave me. But above all, it taught me how to handle sobriety. I have learned how to relate to people. Before AA, I could never do that comfortably without alcohol. I have learned to deal with disappointments and problems that once would have set me right to the bottle. I have to come to realize that the name of the game is not so much as to stop drinking as to stay sober. Alcoholics can stop drinking in many places and many ways, but Alcoholics Anonymous offers us a way to stay sober. God willing, we members of AA may never again have to deal with drinking, But we have to deal with sobriety every day. How do we do it? By learning through practicing the 12 steps and through sharing at meetings how to cope with the problems that we look to boost to solve back in our drinking days. For example, we are told in AA that we cannot afford resentments and self-pity, so we learn to avoid these festering mental attitudes. Similarly, we rid ourselves of guilt and remorse as we clean out the garbage from our minds through fourth and fifth steps of our recovery program. We learn how to level out the emotional swing that got us into trouble both when we were up and when we were down. We are taught to differentiate between our wants, which are never satisfied, and our needs, which are always provided for We cast off the burdens of the past and the anxieties of the future as we begin to live in the present one day at a time. We are granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and thus lose our quickness to anger and our sensitivity to criticism. Let me read that again. We are granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and thus lose our quickness to anger and our insensitivity to criticism. Above all, we reject fantasizing and, accepting and accept reality. The more I drank, the more I fantasize everything. I imagine getting even for hurts and rejections. In my mind's eye, I played and replayed scenes in which I was plucked magically from the bar where I stood, nursing a drink, and was instantly exalted to some position of power and prestige. I live in a dream world. AA led me gently from this fantasizing to embracing reality with open arms. And I found it beautiful. For at last, I was at peace with myself and with others and with God. Beautiful, wonderful story. Let's go ahead and finish this session, please. Let's pray out. Thank you for coming to today's meeting. I hope you have a great day and a wonderful restoration career in A.A. It's an amazing story. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Stay. Welcome to today's meeting. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yesterday's baggage. This is taken from the 12 steps and 12 traditions, page 88, and it says, for the wise have always known that no one can make much of his life until self-searching becomes a regular habit, until he is able to admit and accept what he finds, and until he patiently and persistently tries to correct what is wrong. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 88. I have more than enough to handle today without dragging along yesterday's baggage too. I must balance today's books if I am to have a chance tomorrow, so I ask myself, if I am to have a chance tomorrow, so I ask myself, if I have erred and how I can avoid repeating the particular behavior. Did I hurt anyone? Did I help anyone? And why? Some of today is bound to spill over into tomorrow but most of it need not if I make an honest daily inventory. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. My experience is on this October 5th reading of Daily Reflections, that the 12 steps and 12 traditions on pain 88 only work with your higher power as your best friend. For when I go into the cave of my past and self-searching and I take a flashlight, I need to accept and admit the situations that got me into the hole into the pickle. I must accept what I find until I patiently and persistently ask my higher power what I can do to fix it then then I'm on my way to restoration. Remember that prayer on page 416 on the big book that said the okay prayer Do you have it memorized? We should, because it works in every aspect of our lives. We can say, okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic resource. And it's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Okay, so it's the same thing as going into the cave. I can just change the word alcoholic because I already admitted that I accepted that and now on my way to fixing other problems character defects I say okay it is true that I of all people as strange as it may seem and even though I didn't give my permission really really am a child in adult clothing and it's alright with me now what am I going to do about it amen see the difference between self knowledge and not uh, trying to understand truth and meaning, but without God, it has these people drink. You know, without asking God for, for balances in your heart, truth and consequences, Lord, what are the consequences of this situation, of my behavior? I accept it, whatever it is, I, whatever your will and your consequences, I accept it. The more we approach God in this way in our inner being, that he's there and believing that he's there and he's. we feel him, we sense him. We just know that he's there. And he, we he, we come up with a plan of restoration. A, pr- a plan to stop digging new holes in new caves and dumping up and covering old problems and situations. Amen. It's just saying uncle. I sold it, I drank it, I stole it, I connived it, I accepted. Now, what am I going to do about it? I surrender myself. Whatever happens, happens. I just relax and stop fearing and start and let go and let God. Amen. I wanted to read to you the last story in the big book of Arkham Anonymous. A.A. taught him to handle sobriety on page 553 of the big book. God willing, we may never again have to deal with drinking, but we have to deal with sobriety every day. When I had been in AA only a short while, an old timer told me something that has affected my life ever since. AA does not teach us how to handle our drinking. He said, it teaches us how to handle sobriety. I guess I always knew that the way to handle my drinking was to quit. After my very first drink, a tiny glass of cherry my father gave me to celebrate the new year when I was 13. I went up to bed, dizzy with exhilaration and excitement, and I prayed I wouldn't drink anymore. But I did. When I reached college age much later, when I progressed to full-blown alcoholism, people told me I should quit. Like most other alcoholics I have known, I did quit drinking at various times, once for 10 months on my own during other interludes. When I was hospitalized, it's no great trick to stop drinking. The trick is to stay stopped. To do that, I had come to AA to learn how to handle sobriety, which is what I could not handle in the first place. That's why I drank. I was raised in Kansas, the only child of loving parents who just drank socially. We moved frequently. In fact, I changed schools every year until high school. In each new place, I was the new kid, a skinny, shy kid to be tested and beaten up. As soon as I had begun to feel accepted, we moved again. By the time I reached high school, I was an overachiever, an honor student in college. I became editor of the yearbook. I sold my first article to a national magazine while still an undergraduate. I also began to drink at fraternity parties and beer busts. Upon graduation, I ventured to New York to pursue my writing career. I landed a good job with a company publication and was moonlighting on other magazines, regarded as something as the boy wonder. I began to see myself that way. I also began visiting bars after work, with my older associates. By age 22, I was a daily drinker. Then I joined the Navy and was commissioned as an ensign to write speeches for admirals. Later, I went to sea serving as gunnery officer on a destroyer escort and emerging a lieutenant commander. I also got into my first disciplinary trouble caused by drinking on two separate occasions. In the last year of my Navy service, I was married to a lovely, lively girl who enjoyed drinking. Our courtship was mainly in bars and night spots when my ship was in New York. On our honeymoon, we had iced champagne by the bedside day and night. The patterns were set. By 29, I was having trouble coping with life because of my drinking. Neurotic fears plagued me, and I had occasional uncontrolled tremors. I read self-help books. I turned to religion with fervor. I swore off hard liquor and turned to wine. I got s- sick of the sweet stuff and turned to ale. It wasn't strong enough, so I added a shot of vodka and was right back to to worse trouble than before. I began sneaking drinks when playing bartender for guests to cure my dreadful hangovers. I discovered the morning drink. The early promise of the boy wandered faded, and my career began to drift. Although my ambition still flickered, it now took the form of fantasizing. My values became distorted, to wear expensive clothes, to have bartenders know what to serve me before I order, to be recognized by head waiters, and shown to the best table, to play gin rummy for high stakes with the insolent sins of a riverboat gambler. These were the enduring values in life, I thought. Bewilderment, fear, and resentment moved into my life, and yet my ability to lie outwardly and to kid myself inwardly grew with every drink I took. Indeed, I had to drink now to live to cope with the demands of everyday existence. When I encountered disappointments or frustrations, as I did more and more frequently, my solution was to drink. I had always been oversensitive to criticism and was acutely so now. When I was criticized or reprimanded, the bottle was my refuge and comfort. When I was faced with a special challenge or social event, such as an important business presentation or a dinner party, I had to fortify myself with a couple of belts. So often I would overdo it and behave badly at the very time, I wanted to be at my best. For instance, the 50th wedding anniversary of my wife's parents was the occasional for a huge army reunion family excuse me, at our home. Despite my wife's entreaties to take it easy, I arrived home in bad shape. I remember being dragged... drinking hand from under the grand piano where I had hidden to be locked up in my room in disgrace. Above all, I was suffering inner pain because my performance and my accomplishments in life failed to live up to my own expectations of myself. I had to anesthetize that pain with alcohol. Of course, the more I drank, the more unrealistic my expectations became and the poorer my performance and the gap widened, so the need to drink grew still greater. At age 40, I developed a large lump in my pot belly, and I feared it was a tumor. The doctors pronounced it was a badly enlarged liver and said I had to quit drinking. I did. I went on the wagon with no outside help and with no really difficulty. Except that I didn't enjoy life without drinking. I had to cope with the demands of everyday living without my comforter, my anesthetic, my crutch, and I didn't like it. So when my liver had recovered after 10 months, I resumed drinking. At first, just one drink on occasion. Then drinks came more frequently, but were carefully spaced out. Soon, my drinking was as bad as ever, all day long, every day but I was trying frantically to control it, and it had gone on the ground now because everyone knew I shouldn't be drinking. Instead of drinking in fancy bars and clubs, I had to carry a bottle of vodka in my briefcase, duck into public toilets and gulp from the bottle, trembling in order to keep from falling apart. Over the next few years, I sickened rapidly. The enlargement of my liver degenerated into cirrhosis, I vomited every morning. I could not face food. I suffered frequent blackouts. I had severe nosebleeds. Bruises appeared mysteriously over my body. I became so weak I could barely drag myself around. My employer gave me one warning, then another. My children avoided me when I woke in the middle of the night with snakes and sweats and fierce shakes. I would hear my wife weeping quietly in bed beside me. My doctor warned me that if I kept on, I might have esophageal hemorrhaging and die. But now all choice was gone. I had to drink. What my doctor had warned me about finally happened, I was attending a convention in Chicago and carousing day and night. Suddenly, I began vomiting and losing rectally great quantities of blood. Hopeless now, I felt it would be better for my wife, my children, and everyone in my life if I, were, went, if I went ahead and died. I found myself being lifted into a stretcher and whisked away in an ambulance to a strange hospital. I awoke the next day with twos in both arms. Within a week, I was feeling well enough to go home. The doctors told me that if I ever took another drink, it might be my last. I thought I had learned my lesson, but my thinking was still confused, and I was still unable to deal with everyday living without help. Within two months, I was drinking again. In the next half year, I experienced two more esophageal hemorrhages, miraculously surviving each one by a hair. Each time, I went back to drinking, even smuggling a bottle of vodka into the hospital as soon as the blood transfusion had ceased. My doctor finally declared he could no longer be responsible for me and sent me to a psychiatrist who practiced in the same suite of offices. He happened to be, by the grace of God, Dr. Harry Tybalt, the psychiatrist who probably knew more about alcoholism than any other in the world. And at that very time, he was a non-alcoholic trustee on the General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was the late Dr. Thibault then who persuaded me to seek help through AA. I acquired a sponsor and began attending meetings, but continued to drink. Within a few days, I found myself drawing out on a drunk farm. While there, I read the big book and the grapevine and began the slow road back to health and sanity through the recovery program of AA. As the sober days grew into sober months and then into sober years, a new and beautiful life began to emerge from the shambles of my former existence. The relationship between my wife and me was restored to a love and happiness that we have not known. Even before my alcoholism became acute, she no longer weeps in the night. As our children grew up, I was able to be a father to them when they most needed one. My company advanced me rapidly once my reliability was established again. Regaining my health, I became an avid jogger, sailor, and skier. All these things and many, many more AA gave me. But above all, it taught me how to handle sobriety. I have learned how to relate to people before AA. I could never do that comfortably without alcohol. I have learned to deal with disappointments and problems that once would have set me right to the bottle. I have to come to realize that the name of the game is not so much as to stop drinking as to stay sober. Alcoholics can stop drinking in many places and many ways, but Alcoholics Anonymous offers us a way to stay sober. God willing, we members of AA may never again have to deal with drinking But we have to deal with sobriety every day. How do we do it? By learning through practicing the 12 steps and through sharing at meetings, how to cope with the problems that we look to boost to solve back in our drinking days. For example, we are told in AA that we cannot afford resentments and self-pity, so we learn to avoid these festering mental attitudes. Similarly, we rid ourselves of guilt and remorse as we clean out the garbage from our minds through fourth and fifth steps of our recovery program. We learn how to level out the emotional swing that got us into trouble both when we were up and when we were down. We are taught to differentiate between our wants, which are never satisfied, and our needs, which are always provided for We cast off the burdens of the past and the anxieties of the future as we begin to live in the present one day at a time. We are granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and thus lose our quickness to anger and our sensitivity to criticism. Let me read that again. We are granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. And thus lose our quickness to anger and our insensitivity to criticism. Above all, we reject fantasizing and accepting and accept reality. The more I drank, the more I fantasize everything. I imagine getting even for hurts and rejections. In my mind's eye, I played and replayed scenes in which I was plucked magically from the bar where I stood, nursing a drink and was instantly exalted to some position of power and prestige. I live in a dream world. AA led me gently from this fantasizing to embracing reality with open arms. And I found it beautiful, for at last I was at peace with myself and with others and with God. Beautiful, wonderful story. Let's go ahead and finish this session, please. Let's pray out. Thank you for coming to today's meeting. I hope you have a great day and a wonderful restoration career in AA. that's amazing story. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Stay.